Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. You're listening to The Dog Summit on Dogs by Nature Radio. We're extremely focused on getting the right head coach and the right GM. And I can't stress enough, um, one, we feel terrible about what's happened. But number two, more determined than ever to get it right as we move forward. I want to thank Freddie for his two years here and um, certainly enjoyed our time with him. Uh, we just did not feel like the team made enough progress. We had a lot of conversations with John, who's as good a man as, frankly, we've ever met. Um, and certainly wish both he and Freddie well. I do think this sets us up um, well to first hire a head coach and then have the head coach be involved in the hiring of the GM. I want to stress it will not solely be the head coach's decision. It will be a collaborative uh, process involving ownership and several other members of uh, top management, if you will, as we hire the GM. Welcome to part two of the end of the year dog summit on Dogs by Nature Radio. I am your host, Thelonious7. Brown's owner and de facto general manager Jimmy Haslam at the top of the show. He was sending his condolences to the Dorsey regime and looking forward to greener pastures on the other side of the hiring process. With the intrigue and spectacle looming, we've reached out to three members of the Cleveland podcast community to help us understand what happened and hopefully get some idea of how we can move forward. We're joined by Rod Bloom of the Browns Blitz podcast, Brian Mitchell from the Bernie Kosark podcast, as well as John Cahill of Two Green Browns fame. This is the second half of a two-part series. You don't need to listen in order to appreciate the contributions of our guests. So without further ado, let's get back into the Dog Summit. Last session, we started with the general, talking about how bad the Browns fans have it, talking about what we learned from last season, and thinking about what were the most important things that happened. But this time, we're going to talk about the largest figures within the organization. And that discussion starts... And that discussion starts with none other than Baker Mayfield. Here's the question. Why do you think that Baker ultimately struggled this year? What needs to happen this offseason to make next year better? How close is he to getting replaced? We'll start the discussion with John Cahill of the Two Green Browns podcast. Well, first of all, I don't think Baker's going anywhere. I think Baker's here for the long term. Um... Yes, worrying um, that, that he has regressed. Multiple factors for Baker's regression. Obviously, he has to take some of that on the chin. He has to uh, reflect himself and, and, and have a little look at what was going on. Um, O-line play did not help. Um, at points in the year, 
we had uh, we had Jarvis and Odell on long developing runs down the field whilst Baker obviously didn't have time to wait in the pocket and he was scrambling to get out I, I think scheme has a little bit to do with that uh, I also think as I alluded to in an earlier question I think it was a huge mistake surrounding people surrounding Baker with people um, that he's familiar with and surrounding people and put them in a really comfortable situation I think Baker is one of these guys that needs to face a little bit of adversity he needs to face he needs to have that little chip on his shoulder he needs that kind of motivation he wasn't happy with Greg Williams he wasn't happy with Todd Haley he wasn't happy with Hugh Jackson and he was playing better when those guys were there so I, I think maybe there's a little bit of something in that I really don't think he's he's going to be replaced I don't think he's, he's anywhere near that I think a change of a change faces around them particularly QB coach and offensive coordinator are going to be huge huge appointments for Baker and um, I'd like to see maybe him with a little bit of change of attitude where he, he, he does present a little bit like he like he know like he's like he knows everything and he doesn't need to do anything to improve or whatever but I, I think he will have a little chat with himself this off season and realize he needs to do a little bit more and he needs to be maybe a little bit more prepared or whatever that needs to be done to, to get the team to a point and I think he will I think he's a very very steep learning curve this year and whilst next year I don't think it's a make or break year for him I think he needs to show significant improvement uh, next year and I think that'll happen I have, I have every confidence uh, that Baker will uh, will improve next year and uh, that we'll see we'll see a little bit more of 2018 Baker and uh, that things will be better for the team all around maybe that's just me being an eternal optimist I'm not sure but hopefully, hopefully it'll be um, it'll be uh, it'll be proved right. Well, John, from your lips to God's ears, let's hope Baker returns to form sooner rather than later. And once again, you've hammered on the point that Baker Mayfield needs a coach to set a high standard as well as to hold him accountable. Curious to hear what Rod Bloom has to say on this one. You know, there, there's a lot to say with Baker. Um, Baker, you know, it was an up and down season for Baker, mostly down. Um, he, he had a, he had a few good games. Uh, he had a lot of nice throws throughout the season. He was inconsistent. I think there's, uh, you know, th- there's a lot to talk about there. There's a lot to kind of figure out in the off season. But I think we have to be realistic as Browns fans it, when we're looking at a quarterback in Baker Mayfield. Baker went. He, Baker threw for 20 touchdowns. That's two years in a row, 20 touchdowns. Uh, we haven't had a quarterback do that in Cleveland since Brian Sipe, which uh, most people who are listening to this probably uh, didn't see play. So <laughs> that tells you it's been a long, long time. Uh, so, uh, so you have to be realistic that um, Baker playing poorly is still a lot better than anything we've had in Cleveland. In, in decades so we have to kind of temper the the anger at Baker for how poorly he played uh, but with that being said he obviously took a step back and I, I do think there's truth to uh, truth to the idea that court that sophomore quarterbacks uh, often regress and I'll get kicked back on this, I know, because people say it's coaching and everything else. But 
You can look up any number of quarterbacks, great quarterbacks, and a lot of them were not good in their second and sometimes even their third season. Uh, they were better their rookie season, and then they have a, a down season or two, and then they bounce back, and they get really, really good eventually, and that's what makes them great. Um, we don't know what Baker's ceiling is yet, but I'm confident that Baker's going to bounce back from this. Um, I also think that Baker may have been pressing due to the slow start. I mean, the Browns started 2-2 two and two before going 2-6, and six, and... You know, he was obviously out of sorts, um, just, you know, throwing off his back foot and just having a rough time. I think the, the offensive line not giving him great protection just kind of had him, had him spooked, I think, a lot this year. And he just had, I think that may have led to some mechanical issues and, you know, or some mechanics issues. And, um, you know, I, I just think, uh, I just think he probably got in his own head a little bit, but I'm not worried about Baker. I think Baker's going to be okay, and um, I, I just I have a good feeling that he's uh, he's going to work pretty hard this off season. I think he'll get with his guys, and I think we're going to see uh, Baker come out and look a lot better next season. I also think uh, I also think there's going to be an emphasis on getting somebody in who's a lot better at working with Baker than. Uh, than the people we had this season on the coaching staff. Rod, I appreciate you bringing up the name of Brian Sype in this discussion. When I think about it, that's where I see Baker Mayfield's ceiling. That's good enough to win some championships if the right things happen around him. However, very unlikely that four coaches in three years is the best situation for anyone. <laughs> so let's hear from Brian Mitchell to see why he thinks Baker struggled. I think Baker failed by hiring his friends. And then Freddie hired his friends. And that's no good. When you don't have a track record of winning, you're, you're a running back coach, and now you become a coach, and you don't have any experience. So um, don't hire your friends. This isn't, this isn't a party. Okay, you, this isn't the National Football League. You get people that know, have been around and do their job well. Baker relaxed and he knew it. I, I, um, and I doubt we'll ever move on with Baker uh, for a little bit. I mean, um, he showed that he can play. He just needs to have someone yell at him. Honestly, I mean, that's what I said before. He's, he just needs someone. He needs someone that can yell at him. And tell him that you're doing bad. Instead of patting on the back like, you can do better, Baker. It's like, no, you're you're crap. And I won't I won't want to punch you in the face, but I can't, because I employ you. You know. <laughs> I love the tact, but I appreciate the underlying point as well. With the truth can sometimes hurt. And that means that you need an even bigger personality to deliver that message to a guy the character the size of Baker Mayfield. So while it seems like we have consensus on Baker being the QB of the near future, the team around him on the lines and on the defensive side of the ball is riddled with question marks. I asked these guys how they would rate the work of John Dorsey as a team builder before we knew his ultimate fate. I asked how confident they would have been with another year with the full Dorsey at the helm. And if they saw a reasonable chance at the playoffs in that scenario. 
let's hear what Rod Bloom has to say about our former GM, John Dorsey. John Dorsey did a lot of things right. John Dorsey really upgraded this roster. He added a lot of depth, and it was very evident at times when... Look at the first part of the season when, when Denzel Ward and uh, Greedy Williams were both out, and the Browns had, had corners to come in and, and play, and, and they didn't miss a beat. They actually played very well. Um, we had some nice rotational guys on defensive line you're gonna have some you're gonna have some fall off when guys like uh like miles and 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 vernon aren't in there but uh, i think in years past when we lost a starter it was like oh my gosh you know you felt like like somebody was coming in out of the stands to play sometimes john dorsey really um, added depth at a lot of positions okay but he also he also didn't address a few spots. Um, he also he also did the uh, the OBJ trade, which which like I talked about earlier, bumped those expectations up too high. Uh, I think signing Kareem Hunt did the same thing. I, I think if I think if you go into the season with uh, with uh, without Kareem Hunt and OBJ, and you have Evan Zeitler there, I think the expectations are a little bit different. And yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know how the season goes, but I, I don't think people are talking Super Bowl. And and maybe uh, maybe the season goes a little bit differently. So um, it's hard to say. Of course, you still have the same coach, but um, we just don't know about that. I described it as 11-year cycles. Dorsey's work harkens back to that of Bill Savage, who in 2008 leveraged all of his future assets to attain players to win now. Of course, when that team didn't win right away, Bill Savage was relieved of his responsibilities and took a position in Mobile, Alabama. I think it's not unfair to say that the hype surrounding those big win-now moves somehow had something to do with his demise. So next, let's hear from Brian Mitchell of the Bernie Kosar podcast. Brian, how did you rate the work of one John Dorsey? Uh, I got to give Dorsey a C minus. Uh, I, I felt like he got cute. Um, Duke, tra- Duke Johnson got traded super early, um, earlier than they probably wanted to. Um, you probably wanted to get a couple weeks in before you can have Cream Hunt back. So um, I think that hindered Baker. But that's also Baker understanding what he needs to do to uh, transform himself if he's not going to have someone there. Um, but what can you do with that? Um, it, it, he built a lot of key position uh, with risk. He put people that were risking very, very important spots. Like, you can't put Greg Robinson out there and be like, here, here's this, here's this one-year contract you know we'll play it out be good no one for uh greg to really be scared behind him on the depth chart be like oh yeah he's gonna take my job like no one no one's on that on that depth chart can do it you can see that with the trade with austin corbett because dorsey missed so i don't know i think we still can make the playoffs but it's gonna be really tough 
because you have to fill so many positions and you can only do so much in the draft and free agency. And now, um, if since he goes with with Joe B from LSU, you're gonna have Raven Steelers Sensi fighting for playoff spots. So you have not much room for error here. And you have to be confident that you can be uh, a player against those against those teams. So Dorsey just needs to yeah, find some some gems that are not risky and just hopefully just find guys that can play and want to play football. The amount of risk that Dorsey took in constructing this roster is reflected in the way that Freddie Kitchens coached this team with his fourth and nine draw plays and the way that Baker did with his red zone interceptions. These guys continually gambled with money that they could not afford to lose. And that is the pathology of a player who is hemorrhaging value. Dorsey was trying to do too much as did Kitchens, as did Baker. It was that expectation that it needs to be right now, as opposed to always. That's what hurts. It hurts us as fans to watch this because it comes from the top. And it's absolutely hamstrung this organization. So let's hear from John Cahill of the Two Green Browns podcast. How do you think things played out with John Dorsey? So John Dorsey um, has just exited the building, and um, it's a very difficult one. It's it's a very very difficult one. There's 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 half of me thinks that here we go again, stripping down the front office. Nobody gets time to do anything. It's a terrible look for the organization, and it is. There's no there's no getting away from that. There's no getting away from the fact that GMs now look around and go, God, geez, look, you know, it, it, it does look a little bit like a shit show. However, on the other side of that, would we be happy with John Dorsey staying in, in situ and running Freddie and his team back next year, that which just really wasn't an option. And um, Dorsey, it, it, it looks like, was, was willing to go down that road and, and maybe go down with Freddie. That, that's fine too. And I, I think one of the big problems I've, I've seen in the organization over the last few years has been competing ideologies in the building, Sashi and Hugh, and, and apparently with Di Podesta and um, with John Dorsey. My wish and, and my goal for the for the coming years is that we have everyone more in unison in the building. We have guys that that Deepadesta uh, can work with, that the uh, general manager and and the head coach that can work together, and to have them have them all there. As for as for Darcy's performance as a team builder, you can't get away from the fact that this was. This was the, one of the the worst performing team. Was the worst performing team in in the NFL. Darcy comes in, brings in a bunch of guys. You get your Jarvis, your OBG. Um, we get Hunt in the door. We've got all the weapons. Uh, brought in a lot of guys there. Uh, good performance maybe on that front. As for drafting, you know, um, 
I'm 50-50 on, on, on how all that goes. The, 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 the draft is a bit of a crapshoot, but then you look across at teams like the Raiders having a great draft last year with Mike Mayock uh, in the building. You look at the you look at the likes of the, um, the Indianapolis Colts having great drafts there with Chris Ballard. And, and you think maybe we could be doing a little bit better on that front. But that, that's, that's down to personnel and that's down to... Um, that's down to the, the, guy, the scouting departments and stuff like that so I wouldn't firmly place that all on, on one person's head um, I think overall it was probably the correct decision for Darcy to go and probably was not going to work um, in the long term it feels bad it feels wrong It, it it's a bad look for the franchise I, I get all that however long term view it may be what had to be done to get the organization to where we want to be and where we need to be. The Browns certainly couldn't continue with Kitchens and Dorsey certainly died on that hill. I can see how it happened and I can see how it went wrong, but I don't see how the people who keep building it don't realize that they have to keep rebuilding it because they're always building it wrong. And I guess that takes us to our final question which is the question of ownership. Is it fair to critique Jimmy and D in part for the failures of 2019? What advice would you give them if you had their ear in a face-to-face meeting? Of course, we're going to lead off with Brian Mitchell of the Bernie Kosar podcast. Well, I, I would say Jimmy and D, they were in, in tough positions because they finally had a team that that was getting the buzz that they finally bought it for. And uh, your, your rookie quarterback goes off and, you know, you're like, okay, let's just keep everything the same. And you know, these get, Jimmy and D are coming from a business standpoint. It's like, okay, you keep these guys in the same position because they did it before and, you know, everything should be okay. Um, and we kind of forgot that there's more to that. Yeah, you can get the right people and people can stay, but, uh, things change, uh, for everyone, especially, um, if OBJ came in hurt and we're still playing him, you know, what if we didn't, you know, there's a lot of different things of did Jimmy, J- Jimmy and D's like, well, OBJ's hurt, but he can still play, right? He's like, yeah, he can, but are they making that call because they're they're selling tickets? I, I'm not sure how that all works, but I'm pretty sure Jimmy, you know, has a talk with OBJ. Like, how you doing? You, you playing? You, you, I'm paying you a lot of money. Here's all the money. Here's the check. I'll give you an extra check right now. You know, so not sure how that works, but ooh, but if I. If I had a face-to-face, whoa, I would first have to ask, um, why did you draft Johnny Manziel? Uh, just, just, uh, just, just, why? Why did you do, why you do something dumb like that? I don't know. Um, but I would say for my, my advice for Jimmy and D, if I could, if they could, I hope they would have good water and stuff to, at their office and stuff. Uh, but, I would ask, how would you handle a, a locker room full of egomaniacs, first off? Um, and I would 
give, I would give potential coaches scenarios of what they saw that they had a problem with, with Freddie in certain games against the Rams, you know, whatever. And like, what would you do differently? Because I think that's when you'll see, you know, the coach that can come up with three different things that they could have done that should have worked. Um, but don't let anyone else let let the Paul DePodesta be the guy. All right. I know he's in the background pulling all the strings like Senator Palpatine, but. Um, you gotta have that guy. You gotta let him do his thing. So let him do it. Let him pull. Let him pull the trigger. Let him get Stefanski. Would love for Dee Podesta to take a more centralized role in this organization, but as it looks, it seems like he's going to stay in the position that he is, and the structure will largely remain the same. Although, here's to hoping that Andrew Barry finds his way back to this organization. Okay, let's go to John Cahill of the Two Green Browns podcast. What do you think about the ownership in this case? That's a very interesting question because that, to, to me, this is the key. The key to all the Browns' ills lay at the door of ownership. And it really is to the point now where if they get this next, if they get the next round of hires wrong, at that point, is are we at a point where there's no redemption, or are we at a point where, you know, what's the point? What's the point? Like, the, the, Jimmy, Jimmy, and Dean need to realize they, they need to realize that they have the best, one of the best fan bases in sports. Never mind the NFL. In sports, they're one of the most loyal fan base. This fan base has been kicked around. This fan base has been kicked up and down the road, basically by ownership for the last twenty years. Like nothing, nothing appears to be going right. And, and at the end of the day, you know, uh, is is it Ray Farmer's fault? Is it Mike Lombardi's fault? Is it um, John Dorsey's fault that our franchise is viewed the way it is? And and the answer is no. There's one consistent. There's one. There's one consistent thread here in. Uh, <clears throat> In the last so many years that that this that this has been going on, and Jimmy and D have a lot a lot of questions to answer. If if I had if I had their ear in a meeting, if I was sitting down face to face with them, at this point, what I would say is, can you please find the people who you can entrust to run this franchise and let them do their jobs? Get your GM, get your strategy manager, get whoever, and stand back stand back and and just let them do their jobs make a long-term plan get people in and say look come what may you have five years whatever the franchise needs stability the franchise really needs stability it needs good people needs good people in the right positions and stability they're the things that i think the fan base kind of crave and i I think if you pull any browns fan aside and say look you know uh would you accept 
you know, and, and we've done this with Sashi. Like, you know, this was the this was what we were we were told. We were told, right, a, a bad season or two, this gets you into position to do X, Y, and Z, and that hasn't happened. Like, we suffered, we suffered on sixteen and one and fifteen. We suffered those seasons to get to winning seasons, to get to playoffs. You know, and fans can logically write that off. What we can't do is to suffer those seasons and run the same crap back and to end up maybe with a season like we had and and it really isn't good enough it really is not good enough so Jimmy and D if you're listening if you're listening bit of stability get the right guys in now again you know this has this has been a problem like I'd love to know who's who's advising them and who's making who's getting them to make decisions or who's like because in business like they're obviously they've obviously made a lot of money in business and to me they don't appear to be running the Browns franchise like a business and it appears to be decisions made very hastily or you know to change their mind on something or whatever but they need to stand back and let people do their jobs and let general managers manage and, and let the strategy guys come up with whatever strategy has to come up with and you know maybe maybe in the passage of time um our reputation will improve and when I mean reputation I mean like you know we we get we get a lot of negative feedback you turn on you turn on media you turn on any national media and basically we look like a circus and as a fan it's so disheartening and it's very disheartening when you're talking to particularly here in Ireland we'd, we'd have a lot of Patriots fans a lot of uh, Steelers fans a lot of Green Bay fans a lot of Dallas fans all successful franchises because that that's how that's how NFL travels internationally with, with the successful teams like and there is a very small cohort of Browns fans that are the, the Browns fans are so much more passionate and so much more and we have to be we have to be because <clears throat> otherwise like how would we survive like you know I mean you, you have Patriots fans there getting playoffs and getting Super Bowls and, and, and successful teams that that's what keeps them going and when those teams cease to be successful a lot of these fans go away Browns fans don't and Jimmy and D need to realise the resource that they have in the Browns fan base and that at a certain point there will come a breaking point where fans are going to go I can't deal with this any longer and and this for me obviously going to support the team and, and it's not going to be you know I'm not talking about walking away from the team or not supporting the team or whatever but um, there's a certain level of apathy will start to creep in if this is just rinse and repeat every year every year and a half new coach new GM new coach new GM and no progress you need to see the progress and, and they need to realise that that's something that has to happen in the short to medium term future or they're going to have problems but, but John at what point do you recognise the repeated failures as insanity I mean hopefully it doesn't come to that but we've been on this particular ride since 2012 I think he's definitely earning his reputation. Well, before we wrap up this discussion, we need to hear from Rod Bloom of the Browns Blitz podcast. Rod, how do you value the role of ownership? I know a lot of people don't like the Haslam's as owners, and and I can understand that. Uh, they're the ones who ultimately keep putting us through this cycle of higher fire, higher fire, higher fire, rebuild rebuild 
you know, turn the roster over, hire somebody else, fire somebody, and it just keeps going on and on and on and on and on. The thing I saw this season was that they they put John Dorsey in charge, they let him do his thing, and they stayed out of the way. So uh, I don't have a problem with that. In the past, Jimmy Haslam was always in there kind of sticking his nose in, kind of stirring things up, and that didn't happen. So uh, for me, that was that was an improvement out of the Haslams this season. Um, I, I guess it depends what you're looking for. I, I think we all kind of knew what was going to happen with Freddie because of the fact that that both Dorsey and the Haslams disappeared near the end of the season. Nobody, nobody was out there giving Freddie an endorsement, helping him out. He was on his own. He was just kind of a man on an island. There are those, you know, over the last half of the season, um, everybody else disappeared. But um, overall, I thought, you know, if the Haslams stay out of the way, I would much rather have that happen than have them sticking their nose in, thinking they know how to run. Uh, a football operation. My final thoughts kind of revolve around John Dorsey a little bit. If I can step back to that for a moment. We've been through this before, guys. We know that if a new GM comes in, he's going to want to put his stamp on the team. They want to get rid of all the other guys' players. You know, hopefully, we're not looking at a total rebuild, but um, because I think a lot of people feel like this team is pretty close to to competing um, you know maybe maybe the right coach can help this team to compete but you got to be realistic if a coach comes in sets up his own schemes uh, own playbook he's going to want his players in there especially if he brings in his own GM so I think that um, if Dorsey doesn't stick around I think there's a good chance that that um, the new GM and coach Kind of set this up as a two-year plan. They will get rid of some guys, kind of start a little bit younger, and without extreme expectations the first season, kind of try to get the team to gel, play well, give Baker a season to grow, and then go for it the second season. I think that's what you're going to see. Rod, your proclivity for optimism rivals that of the great Easy Weave. Thanks for putting your positive spin on the ownership question. And with that, we'll wrap things up. But before we get out, we'll hear final words from each of our participants. A very big thank you to Rod Bloom of the Brown Splits Podcast. Any parting words? I want to thank Dogs by Nature Radio for having me on this year-end dog summit. Everybody hang in there. Things are going to be okay. And the Browns will be back eventually. Just kind of stick together here in the dog pound. And once again, you can follow me at CLE Rodby and catch my podcast at The Browns Blitz. Thanks, everybody. We definitely appreciate your presence. Thanks so much for joining us on this program. Up next, we have Brian Mitchell of the Bernie Kosar podcast. Any final thoughts? Ooh, any final thoughts? Any final thoughts? Um, I would say... Hmm. Let's just be diligent in the draft. Uh, if you're gonna find, if you're going to re-sign Schobert, let's do that quickly. But it's time to now fire Steve Wilkes. Steve Wilkes needs to go. 
And I think if we find some defensive identity, I think everything else will fall into place. All right. See you later. Thank you so much for your time. Looking forward to doing it again soon. And finally, we have John Cahill of the Two Green Browns podcast. John, what are your final thoughts? My final thoughts are this year is going to be good. I'm, I'm, I'm in a positive frame of mind. Um, as I said before, my expectations will be tempered. Uh, I'm not going to jump up and down about who he's uh, appointed as a GM or as a manager. Frankly, there's no one out there that, that's making me go, Ooh, I can't wait to see that, that person appointed. I just want the right people in the right positions to do a good job and to get the franchise into the playoffs. I, I, I really am with the talent we have. We need to be pushing for playoffs. And that's what will keep the fan base on site. So as I said, my final thoughts are onwards and upwards this year for the Browns and hopefully for the playoffs. But um, a, a great quote um, that I've seen uh, written around a lot of times this year and it's very relevant to the Browns. And it basically says zero expectation, 100% hope. So that's really my final thoughts for the brands for the coming year. At John Cahill underscore IRL, you couldn't have put it better. So with that, we'll put a bow on this end of the year dog summit on Dogs by Nature Radio. I am your host, Thelonious Seven. Take care. Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it. Then, in that moment, you don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done, and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of, like, afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts. Hello, I'm Nilay Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts.